Welcome to the Football Shed. We are your weekly podcast by three English blokes that live here in Melbourne. Uh, we record each week in Jeff's Shed, hence the name Football Shed. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify and Stitcher now. Um, if you enjoy it, give it us a review, subscribe and tell your mates about it. If you want to get in contact with us, you can shoot us an email at footballshedpodcast at gmail.com or you can find us on Facebook and Instagram and you can find us at our shiny new website, footballshed.com. Welcome to the Shed, Jeff. How are you going? Good day. I'm great. There's no Roger Gibbs. No, no Roger Gibbs. He's got a 40,000 words report to write for his real day job. About soil? Yeah. It's going to be the most boring read of all time. Uh, how do you find 40,000 words? It's like the ice Eskimos talking about snow. It's just all <laughs> words for soil. <laughs> yes, just lots of <laughs> soilness. Um, but we have a question which I reckon you're going to win this week. Yeah, I'm in. I'm in already. Um, but this morning... Uh, Ajax beat Real Madrid in one of the best European games of football I've seen in a long time. Um, but there was an ex-Southampton player, Dusan Tadic, playing, who was brilliant. Um, a lot better than he ever looked for Southampton. But since joining Ajax from Southampton, for a measly 11 million euros, um, he has played 41 games. In those 41 games, how many goals and assists has he provided? Well, everyone was waxing lyrical about him this morning, and fair enough, because he was very, very good. Um, I would say goals and assists. Goals and assists. I mean, I'm pulling it out of nowhere, but 15. 37. What the (laughs) funk? That's um, (laughs) messy numbers. That's ridiculous, isn't it? That is outrageous. 16 goals and 21 assists in 41 games. Like, Tadic was... Okay at Southampton, like he he had he had a good couple of weeks here and there, and he'd do something a bit special. And yes, the Dutch league is not as good as the Premier League, but for to be that consistent and score that many goals, that many assists, it's crazy. It's going to be one of those stories, isn't it? That he was average. You know, I'm, like it mirrors a Mo Salah, doesn't it? <laughs> when, you, when you're average, you go away, you do incredibly well, and you come back and and you're a world beater. Like you'd think that. The clubs are sniffing around his armpits at the moment, wouldn't you? Well, he's 30 years old, though. So it's not like he's young. Like, he's had his best three or four years of his career at Southampton. And he was good. But I think they just run out of ideas. Or they put him in the wrong... They played him wide a lot. For Ajax, he plays as a number 10 or even as a false nine. So he's the kind of main focal point. And he's just told, attack and create. And he's brilliant at it. I mean, he looked amazing in, in that game this morning. And it's, it's so easy to be... Um, to be sheltered from this stuff, you know. We watch the Premier League, we watch the Champions League, we watch a bit of the Championship, watch a bit of A-League, uh, whatever. Yeah. You don't watch the Dutch League. No. So suddenly when these players pop up in the Champions League, you're like, oh, I forgot about Tadic. Yeah. Did they sell Tadic? How yeah. much was that for? And then suddenly you reel off a stat like that. You're like, holy shit. Yeah. And his turn for the assist, where he did the little drag back and then pirouette oh. round, was amazing. Absolutely brilliant. I mean, what a game of football that was. I, You know me, I love seeing... Uh, <laughs> Things fail. I like, I like seeing <laughs> yes. beauty destroyed, yeah. and and there's nothing more beautiful than Real Madrid getting destroyed. So I, I really appreciate that, especially at home. It was amazing, and the best bit for me about it was Sergio Ramos got uh, deliberately got booked at the end of the last leg because they were two one up away, and he was on a booking. So he's like, oh, "If I get a booking now, I'll be available for the quarterfinals when we'll definitely get through." And then he's sat in the crowd watching and it all goes wrong. It's so good. You see, he wasn't even just sat in the crowd. You see that they he's recording a documentary oh, no. on himself. Like a, <laughs> a, a Ramos documentary. And he was being filmed through the whole game. So like his reactions, there was a camera in his face the whole time. That's so good. So not only does he look like a, a pelican for, <laughs> for getting a band for doing what he did, but the whole thing, the whole 90 minutes are on camera, camera in the face. So I'm looking forward to watching that when it's released on Netflix. Yes, that's going to be awesome. Ramos till I die. But uh, in that game, we talked about uh, Tadic. He scored a wonder goal, but that goal was a bit controversial because at the start of that goal, apparently, or maybe, the ball went out of play. So the guy, the fullback slides in. It's an incredible tackle um, and keeps the ball live on the pitch. And then they break forward and the ball comes to Tadic. He scores a wonder goal. Goes to VAR. And it goes to VAR for about five minutes. It feels like forever. Um, And about whether the ball went over the line. And they actually couldn't 
conclusively say whether it went over the line or not. Um, so they decided the goal should stand. Now, in my opinion, watching it, VAR is meant to be a clear and obvious error. It wasn't a clear and obvious error. Like, if it had definitely gone off the pitch, then it's a clear and obvious error, but it hadn't definitely gone off the pitch. So it should stand as a goal. But it took them ages to come to that conclusion. And if, the thing I was thinking about, if it was a goal for a, a, the goal line for a goal, it wouldn't have been a goal because the ball didn't go over the line. So I don't think there's much of an argument. But what do you reckon? I mean, I've, I think that the right call was eventually made. And, and I think it was... Uh, firstly, I agree. It took five minutes. That is such a joke. <laughs> like, for everyone watching, it's a joke. For the Madrid players, it's a joke. Yeah. And because it's the Champions League and it's not, uh, you know, hasn't matured into VAR, they don't show it on the big screen. So it's not like it is here in Australia yeah. where, where you, you see it up there yeah. or like it was in the World Cup where you can see yeah. it up there and you can see what they're reviewing. Yeah. No one had a clue because the goal itself was perfect. Yeah. You know, so every, everything was perfect. So they're, they're tracking back to their own half to work out what happened with this thing. So firstly, that was a bit of a disaster. Second, the goal should have stood, I yeah. think. Because if it took the VAR, is it a VAR ref or is that it's a VAR? He's called the VAR, so because he's a video assistant referee. Yes, he's his VAR. So if we say VAR ref, we're wrong. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So the but, VAR ref, but they are a panel. So there's four of them. Okay. So, so there's like the Supreme Court. They are VAR. <laughs> okay. So VAR, the entity. Yeah. If it took VAR. Yeah five minutes to yeah. get a conclusion and the conclusion was on bias call don't really know uh, inconclusive do you reckon then they should just have a three minute window like if it takes longer than three minutes then it's obviously not clear and obvious because the whole point clear and obvious if it's clear and obvious it takes seconds well yeah but I, I think the problem was the camera angles it wasn't a camera angle there were two opposing camera angles one made it look like it definitely was in one made it look like it definitely was out and I think that obviously now you tell me there's four people, they're all just having a, having a little Barney <laughs> yeah. and having a disagreement. But essentially, if they are professionals and they can't work out if this ball's gone out, if however many million people around the world are watching this game and you and I are still sitting here deciding yeah. whether the ball went out, then it's too ambiguous to change a decision on. Yeah. I think that is within the structure of VAR to go, look, it's not a clear and obvious mistake yeah. because it's so 50-50 that you can't, it's not foolproof. No. Uh, therefore, it has to go back to a human decision. That human decision is it was in, which is what the Lino thought, who's in the best position. In all honesty, the only person in, in in the stadium who knew where it went in or out is the Lino. He's standing on the line looking at the ball and he's like, no, it didn't go out. Yeah. And I think that's the thing that as well, because yeah, the linesman didn't give it out. If he had at the time flagged it, then obviously the play wouldn't have carried on. So there wouldn't have been, it would have just been a throwing and you go, okay, cool, carry on. But because he didn't flag it, the whole play carried on. It's that precedent of if that play had taken three minutes, like if they have gone to that and then it hadn't quite happened, and it, how far back do you go? It's only because it was quite, it flowed pretty quickly through to a goal, but you could get to a point where people are going, well, oh, we need to go back three minutes ago because the ball might have been out over there. Or if, and I think you have to go, the flow of play happened, you allow that to happen. I agree. It, it is the maximum uh, in. The maximum reflection that you can yeah. take, like it going so far back, any further would become ridiculous. Yeah. And the, but I think the reason why it was it was reviewed is is because it's a it's a very it's a yes or a no situation that was reviewed. So it's, it's a clear and obvious mistake or it's not. Yeah. Which so the ball going out of play, it's not something that's ambiguous. Like, did you get your shirt pulled three minutes ago when you were in the penalty? Other penalty? Yeah. It's not like that. That yeah. wouldn't be reviewed. Yeah. But did the ball go out of play as a yes or no? Yeah. It's not something that requires an opinion. Yeah. Yeah. And they were reviewing whether a clear mistake was made as opposed to an opinion wasn't agreed to. Yeah. Okay. Although in everyone's everyone's got a different opinion on it. That, but that's the whole <laughs> point, which means you need to go straight back to the ref, and he goes, "Well, okay, if if no one can decide." then fuck it, I'm going to decide. And that's good. Yeah, that's Because the, the be, referee yeah. is is in charge here. Yeah. They can't just take VAR's word for it. And, he, and VAR go, I don't get it. I don't, I've got no answer. Yeah. Then so be it. The best bit, well, not the best bit, the bit I enjoyed most about this game is when Madrid scored their goal. 
<laughs> because you're what you're watching the like their chests puff out. And they're yeah. like, oh, we got this. This is this yes. is our Istanbul. Yeah. We're like we're in, and then straight away down the other end, like a <laughs> glorious free kick. And then uh, it, the best bit about that free kick as well is it's Courtois in goal, who in the World Cup said Jordan Pickford's too short to be a goalie because oh. he couldn't reach. And then he just stood there and the ball goes straight over his head. And, like, it was too hard. It was a great free kick. And whether he meant it or not, I don't know. Like, it was a cross-come free kick. Who cares? Who cares? Yeah, yeah exactly. I just love that it was Courtois in goal because he always is shouting about, oh, no, this isn't good enough. That's not good enough. I'm better than everyone. And yeah. then straight over his head. Uh, I don't want to um, go too much on the Champions League, but did you watch the Dortmund-Spurs uh, game? Mm. Dortmund were outrageously good. They were great in the first half. But then Spurs chained up at half time again, again, uh, and well, I think it was just before half time. But they went very; they played five, two, one, two, so very narrow to start with, um, and then they changed it up so Ericsson and Son went wide, and Kane went through the middle, um, and Kane came out afterwards and said, uh, Pochettino just said to him, "Go right up front, just stay as far up as you can," um, and then within three minutes, scores a goal. And the difference between those two sides is Harry Kane. Uh, mm. Sounds like a cliche. <laughs> oh, the difference is the goal. Person who you know, scored the goal. <laughs> scored the one goal. But when Harry Kane is that clinical, and Dortmund had what sixteen shots or something, you, yeah. you think if Dortmund had a Harry Kane, yeah, they would have absolutely gone through in this tie. They were, they were tactically outdone in the first leg, and in the second leg they were the worst side, and they won four 0 on aggregate. So that, you know, I know you, you wax lyrical about Pochettino all the time, but that is a testament to, to their their setup. Do you think Spurs can go pretty far in the Champions League? I've got a sneaky... Because Ajax have gone through, and Ajax, I think, are going to be this year's Monaco. Mm-hmm. So they're going to be brilliant, get far, and then everyone's going to buy all their good players. Dismantled <laughs> completely, yes. yes. Um but Spurs have gone through, Ajax have gone through, Porto, Roma play each other tomorrow, so you wouldn't say they're a big heavyweight, like Real Madrid are out. Mm. Um, there's a few teams there that are, you would say, smaller teams in the final eight. So I think there's an opportunity for Spurs. If they draw an Ajax or one of Roma or Porto in the next round, they're in the semi-finals. Once you get to the semi-finals, it's a free-for-all. And they're more likely to get drawn against an English team if Liverpool get through, Man City get through, um, possibly Man United, which is unlikely against Paris Saint-Germain tomorrow. Um, but I think Spurs have got a chance to have a decent run and maybe make a semi-final or a final. I, I'd i like to think so. And for those who listen regularly, I, I bash at Spurs <laughs> every week. Um, but I, obviously, I, there's the... You know, there's there's an allegiance, and then there's there's wanting to see British clubs do well in mm. European competition. I think that's a good thing. Um, and for all of Spurs, for all of my hate against Spurs, lots of it's unfounded. I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll admit that. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's just pure prejudice. Yeah, it's just absolute prejudice. And, I, and I, I'm, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll own up to that every now and then. But I think that they, I'm going to say, I'll own up mm. to it, but I don't think they can get much further because they're knackered. Yeah, okay. they're exhausted. When you watch them in the league against Arsenal, which we'll get on, I'm sure they're just tired, and it's it's being mentally tired. It's not having a fresh face. It sounds so cliched. Everyone's been talking about it all season, but this is the point. It's March and April where that starts to take its toll. But they are um, they've got a game at the weekend. Uh, they play Southampton. Then they've got two weeks until they've got another game. Now they do have it's an international break, I think. Um, so there is international games, but then it's a kind of a break from the Spurs thing. They've got Deli Ali coming back. Eric Dyer played for a little bit last night, so they've got players coming back. So I think that actually could do them good if they come back from the international break refreshed, ready, um, and then they're heading into a quarter final. I think they could have a good end of the season no I, okay I, I mean I hear what you're saying but I think it's a bit different a player's coming back and it's the opposite to Lukaku coming in for Man United mm. you know being able to rotate and have people be chomping at the bit to get their opportunity and then when they have their opportunity they're new in the side they're fresh in the side they want to prove a point they want to stay in the team mm. having that level of rotation I mean we saw examples of it this week in the Premier League so we, we saw Lukaku scored four goals in two games we saw the most one-sided game of football I've ever experienced in my <laughs> life, which is Manchester City Bournemouth, yeah. 1-0 Man City, who scored Mares. Yeah. So you, you're looking at these players who have been training intently to get back in that side because they deserve their place. 
And that's not happening at Spurs. The players that are coming back are coming back less fit because they're injured. They might get into the swing of things in the last three or four games, but not now. Yeah, I, I've, I've just got a sneaky feeling that they're going to get through the next round. And then once he gets to the semi-finals, who knows? But then the league form will suffer on, on the back of that. And you'd say it already is. Yeah, yeah, they've, they've had a bad couple of weeks in the league. But I think it's just a bit of a hiccup. I think last night for Spurs against Dortmund was ridiculously professional. Um, I think in previous years, that young team would have conceded in the first half. Um, Lloris was really good in goal. Um, and then they would have panicked. But they didn't panic at all. They Postecino went about his thing calmly and changed the formation because he realised he had it wrong. Uh, they all adapted very quickly to that. And I think there was, it was just a really mature performance. Everyone was like, 3-0, you've won it. But Dortmund are a good side. If they score early, then you start going, oh, they could get another. If they 2-0 up with half an hour to go, it's panic stations. Whereas they didn't allow that to happen at all. In one of the like hardest stadiums in Europe to play in, with 80,000 people, the whole yellow wall screaming at them. So I think they just... I think they did really well. Okay, so they got Southampton this weekend. So do you think they've got? A, do you think they're going to be dominant in that game against Southampton? No, I reckon they'll scrape a win. This is it. So they're, they're going into these games in the Premier League, not against the Chelsea's mm. or the Arsenal's or, or the games that you know you're, you're judging them against. Mm. But it's you know you win the league by beating Southampton. You don't win the league by beating Arsenal. But I think they'll get enough results to get the top four, and comfortably they'll get in. And I think they'll have enough about them to go, we've got, they're not in the FA Cup anymore, they've got energy and stuff to go for the Champions League. And they might as well. Yeah, the, what's, what would make me nervous is what's going on in the top four in the Premier League. They, two weeks ago, not two weeks ago, a month ago, they were, they were bang on for, for third. Well, <laughs> no, the... it was only a week ago. Um, they were, yeah, they were eight points clear. They were ten points clear of Arsenal ten days ago. And right now... What's going on in the in the top four, the top six in the Premier League? It would make me incredibly cautious if I was a Spurs fan. So they're sitting on sixty-one points, three points behind them are Man United, one point behind Man United are Arsenal, one point behind Arsenal is Chelsea. So and Chelsea have a game in hand as well. So. Ah, it's so tight there, which means that, and you know what Pochettino's like. You, he says, winning, getting the top four is like winning a trophy. You know, so what would he prefer to do? Would he prefer to win a trophy? Or try and win a trophy. Yeah, no, that's fair. I, I think he's going to go for the Champions League. I think they'll be fine um, getting top four. I think they've learned to be mature in games. They played awfully against Arsenal at the weekend. So they drew one all in the North London derby. And Spurs were basically crap. And Arsenal were brilliant. And Arsenal dropped Ozil and Nabemiang. And uh, we, we just played better than them. We were really good. But Spurs came out with it with a point. And... Last year, they would not have come out with it with a point. And yes, there was a penalty save at the end by Lloris, so it could have been very close. But I think Spurs have matured to that point where they know how to get results when they need to. I don't think they'll panic if they get really close for the top four. I think they'll go, no, we know how to win top four now. It is on a knife edge in my rec- in my recommend it's Spurs season. And, and I say that for a, a few different reasons. Obviously, everything we've just discussed, going up and down, tightening up in the top four, being the worst team, uh, the worst team of the tie to go through. And looking at um, what's happening around them, Arsenal, Chelsea. But, but, but then I also think that if they don't do something this year, if they don't succeed this year then people will start looking elsewhere. There are players who have been bought, who are bought into this Spurs methodology who are being run ragged. And you can only keep uh, the perfect unit. They're saying they've got the perfect unit because they have a great group of players who are the right age at the right time, who have the right manager, and it's the perfect storm for Spurs. Yet those players... we. We've seen it a few over the last few seasons at Spurs that players during that perfect unit have wanted out. Carl Walker gone mm. to Manchester City because they're like, you know, what's in this for me? Am I? I'm going to get my you know smoke blown up my mm. ass so much because I'm part of this perfect storm. Actually, can I be winning something here? Um, yes, but I think next year they'll be in the new stadium, and by the end of this year, I think they'll be in the new stadium. There's a few things have come out this week about the possibility of Harry Kane leaving, and I just think that's nonsense. I don't see. People are saying if Harry Kane leaves, you get 150 million and then you can go and buy three 50 million pound players. But we've seen with Gareth Bale, that doesn't work. Um, and it never really works because people think, oh, 
we've sold one brilliant player, we'll just get seven average players and that will work. It doesn't work. Mm. You need your star men. But I don't think Kane will go anywhere. Um, because, and I don't think, to be honest right now, I don't think Pochettino's going to leave either. I think they have decided, okay, next year we're in the new stadium. We give it all next year. And then I think at the end of next season, everyone just goes, see you later. This is why they're not going to get not going to win the Champions League because if they get into their new stadium, they don't have Champions League football after the last five years that they've had. It would be a it would be tragic, yeah. and it's that much harder to get back in with what's going on. I mean, Manchester United, for example, they they are sitting fourth right now, as you said, three points behind Spurs. Now, since Solskjaer's Solskjaer, since he's come in, they've won more points than anyone else in the Premier League. Yeah, and there's uh, a lot of uh, stats going around about the league since Solskjaer started, and Man United are way above everyone else. And and that's something that I would be concerned by for, for Spurs. You know, United have been in the doldrums for the last three, four years. Uh, we've just uh, before we went on air. On air is that what you call it? Oh. On pod. On pod. We went on pod. Yeah, we were I talking about league standings when ever, when uh, <laughs> Leicester won the league. Where were United? Fifth. United came fifth. Liverpool yep. came eighth. Chelsea yep. came tenth. Yep. Like some some. Teams that have the last five years has been very interesting for what we consider is a nailed on top six. Anyone says the Premier League's that's only three years ago as well. It's outrageous. It's a, you know Southampton was sixth, weren't yep. they? Yep. Um, anyone who says the Premier League's stale, you, you only have to look back a year and then another year yep. to go. Oh my god, well, it does actually change and, and change for the better. But what you are seeing at United is very different to what you saw at United at the back end of last year. Man United Southampton game was awesome. Like it was one of the best games as a Man United fan to watch partly because there was wonder goals left right and centre like was it Ward Prowse who scored that first goal no the first goal was Valerie who I've never oh. like I've never heard of until that game and then scores a wonder goal in the top corner what a finish <laughs> just flies in yeah and then Ward Prowse scored the free kick um, which he couldn't have put it anywhere else he put it right in the top corner um, side note on Ward Prowse I still think he should be in the England team I think I've mentioned this before yeah you have yeah um is an England squad out next week and he's just the best dead ball player we've got and I'll say it again if he was Spanish he would be in the team every week you reckon he's he's the hipster favourite he's technically brilliant like he's slow well not slow but he's not the quickest but he's got all the ability in the world so if you give him the ball to feet he's brilliant if you put him in a ball playing top six side he would fit in perfectly but he plays in a lower uh, team down the league so he kind of struggles has to do a lot more work if you put him in Chelsea's midfield he'd be better than Kovacic or Ross Barkley like I'd put him there interesting John interesting um, but that Man United game was awesome and Lukaku turned up out of nowhere four goals in two games and not just goals they were great finishes and on his right foot both on his right foot like, wow often with Lukaku you kind of think it needs to bounce right, it needs to fall on his left foot, it needs to be no one around, he needs no time to think, and he needs to be able to just go, I'm going to kick it really hard, and it goes in. Whereas he had two, like, he had a couple of other chances he could have scored, but they weren't big chances, these goals. He made them himself, uh, especially the winner, um, and right foot in the bottom corner. Do you know, that's the difference. So when he first came to Man United, he was selfish, and he scored a lot of goals. And then he slowly became a player that was in the mould of Mourinho and he was almost like a an attacking defender, you know, <laughs> the, the, the way Mourinho's six-man midfield yeah. attacked. So he was always had to be part of something instead of just shooting whenever he got the ball. And for his most prolific seasons, he was the main man. We've spoken mm-hmm. about it. And he's incredibly selfish off the back of that because he's a goal scorer. Yeah. Most great but goal then, scorers are selfish. And I think Lukaku gets pigeonholed into being... Uh, the big bloke up front because he's six foot four, six foot five, and big built. People presume, oh, he must be good at heading it and holding the ball up. A bit like Peter Crouch actually isn't the best in the air. Mm. Like he's got really good feet because he's six foot seven. Everyone goes, I'll oh, just ping it to Peter Crouch. But actually, he's okay with his feet as well. And Lukaku's better at running onto a ball, play the ball. He's more like Jamie Vardy than Drogba. Like. He's powerful and quick and runs onto things and then shoots. Yeah, I completely agree. You, um, make, you make a really good point. He, and act so actively so that his hold-up play is really bad. Oh, well, his first touch <laughs> is awful. Yeah. It like, bounces off his knee and goes somewhere. Like, it's a parody because yeah. it's true. Yeah. Like, it's something that if you pay attention to, his first t- touch is woeful. So you don't give him a first touch. If you play through like Jamie Vardy, your first touch is your shot. 
and his yeah. shot is amazing. Yeah, and I think so. I think, but I think Solskjaer has done such a good thing at giving the strikers confidence to finish, um, and also giving them probably a bit of nous and a bit of insight of what you should do, mm. but also just telling them to shoot. And I spoke about it a few weeks ago about the fact that once so Rashford scoring. Um, and playing well, all that does, like you mentioned earlier, is make Lukaku go, I'm going to have to work really hard. Then when I get my chance, I'm going to be the guy that's scoring. So now that Rashford's back and Lukaku's scoring, tomorrow against Paris Saint-Germain, does Solskjaer play them both up front yeah, together? Yeah, he two up front, why wouldn't he? You're 2-0 down, might yeah. as well just go for it. They're both scoring. Yeah, it's 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 great to watch. You know? <laughs> and um, I, I'm not a big Man United fan, but I do think that this is a more... It's a more natural... Oh, just way to watch yes. watch them play football. It's something that I, I take more pleasure in than I. I the Mourinho years really, though painful. I en- enjoyed the pain because <laughs> there was there was part of me that just felt it wasn't right. Do you know just a little bit on Mourinho? Um, there's talk of him going back to Real Madrid. After yeah, they were chanting his name. Like I want that to happen because it's going to end in tears. Like just like I, I just want to watch it go really wrong. Um, but yeah, talking at Chelsea, we'll finish off on the top four. Um, Chelsea beat Fulham 2-1? Yeah, 2-1 away from home. Um, first up, Higuain's finish is amazing. Mm. Uh, like, that's a proper striker's finish. Like, that was a £100 million striker. That was just the greatest. They're one of my favourite goals. Like, you can score a wonder goal that flies in the top corner, but that was just pure striker one quick two-yard movement, bang, bottom corner, goal. Yeah, it's, it's like perfect. Fat Ronaldo goals. Make it look easy. They make yeah. it like, why doesn't everyone just do that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but Fulham looked better. Like, they've got... So, since we last recorded, Ranieri's been fired. Because that was after we recorded last week, I think. Um, and Scott Parker's come in. And Scott Parker bought Tom Kearney back in as number 10. My uh, vote for yeah, surprise yeah. player of the year. Um, if Scott Parker was in charge, I would have won that. Uh, this year um, he bought Kevin McDonald back in centre midfield Sesson Young on the left wing Sesson Young and, and like these are the players that won them the promotion last year and are good players mm-hmm. makes so much sense just play them where they're good and it's really dumb but like the crowd were behind them they played the way that they're comfortable it just makes sense it does it makes you realise how tragic this season has been for Fulham um, although I've got to say, so we spoke on the on the shed last week about uh, uh, what's his name at Burnley being the football whisperer, uh, uh, Sean Dyche. Sean Dyche, yes. Have, have you heard Scott Parker talk recently? <laughs> yeah, I've heard one interview. Because it's like, oh dear. Yeah, he's, he's not a smart cookie. We wheeled another one out. Yeah. Great. Okay. Let's talk to footballer. Yeah, let's talk to footballer. Me footballer, I'm talking to you about football. Me footballer. Sorry. That's true though. Random fact about Ranieri, yeah. um, who they obviously played against Chelsea this week. When he was Chelsea manager, the first person he signed was Djukanovic, who was the last manager of Fulham. And the last player he signed was Scott Parker, who is now the manager of Fulham. Really? Yeah. There's no, nothing more than that. And then just... Ranieri just gets the sack. See you yeah. later. It's a bit sad to lose Ranieri. Um, however, it... I get some solace that Brendan Rodgers is back. Yeah. You know, if one's going to go, someone else is going to come back in, which yes. is which is good. Obviously, got off to a flying, flying start. start. Yeah. Before we go on to Leicester, let's talk about the top of the league because we have ignored Liverpool, and Man City so far. Um, Liverpool drew nil nil with Everton. As an Everton fan, Everton were way better, weren't they? Um, yeah. Well, Liverpool had the better chances. Everton played football the way you want it to be played. And I say that because there was an acceptance uh, that Liverpool are a better side than Everton. That is a fact. And no matter what kind of glasses you're wearing, that's the reality. But what Everton proved, obviously it's a nil-nil, so no one's going to get too carried away, even though they are going to get carried away because of the connotations it means in the league. There's been a lot of celebrations Mm. on the blue half of Merseyside, but that's only because two points have been taken off Liverpool, which means they're not top of the league anymore. Not you're not celebrating a nil-nil, a nil-nil victory. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. uh, but there, if you are coming up against a team that is better, what do you have to do? You have to try hard. Your fans have to be behind you. You have to realise that if it, if you're going to be two inches away from that ball, you could probably stretch another two inches if you put your back into it. 
And there is an acceptance of apathy when you come up against a team that's better than you. There, there, there is. When teams come up against Manchester City and sometimes like, oh, well, you know, fuck. Like, what did Bournemouth do this weekend? It's a joke. Oh, yeah. But what we saw from Everton is that that kind of those ambiguous traits that you look for in a footballing side, the 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 fight and the spirit and yes, all of that. The Scott Parker. You can conjure it. It's yeah. a it's a fact. And I also think that the the cauldron that was made at Goodison Park, so the the twelfth man, you know, all mm. of these cliches. We're seeing we saw an Everton side that weren't very ambitious, didn't attack a lot, but all of those soft skills that go into playing football, trying hard having dedication, having a crowd that's behind you no matter whether you're good or bad, made the difference. And I look at um, uh, a few weeks back when Liverpool were playing at home and you could hear a pin drop for the first half of the mm-hmm. game because there was anxiety in the stadium. Pure nerves. Yeah. We spoke about it for a bit. Like You could feel it. When you're watching on the telly, you could feel yeah. it. And it was just a bit... We thought that the the fans themselves were going to be Liverpool better playing away from home because the fans were going to leak their mm. their their fear onto the players and they play within themselves. And what we've seen is that you can be a worse footballing side but gain something from from that level of motivation, that level of fan support. That I wonder what would be possible with Liverpool if actually there wasn't the anxiety, there weren't the nerves, and they did what they did at Goodison Park, what the Everton fans did at Goodison Park every week at Anfield. I know it sounds like a ridiculous yeah, no, thing yeah, to say, yeah, you're right. but, but if it can spur you on that much, that it can make a worse team perform gallantly against, at the time, the league leaders who, who had clear-cut chances. But, you know, Pickford was brilliant. Michael yeah. Caine was brilliant. Keen. My, can we just call him Michael Caine? <laughs> Michael Caine was, was brilliant. But don't get me wrong, Liverpool, if they had won 1-0, which was completely possible, Mo Salah was in a few times, then yeah. we'd be talking about how Liverpool went up against this stoic defence and you know, it'd be a different rhetoric. But actually, um, as an Everton fan, it's frustrating because what you can pull that out of the bag for one game, but then you can hear a pin drop against Wolves. I was going to say, Everton play Newcastle away this week and you're going to... Yeah, you get a great result against Liverpool at home, but then you've got to be up for Newcastle away. And that's where I think Marco Silva's fallen down a little bit, is that it can be up for the big games, but you've actually got to make your team believe that they're going to do the same thing away at Newcastle. Newcastle have got a decent run on at the moment, and I think that's a really hard game. Um, So yeah, I think Everton have got to find out a way so that they can believe, they can have the same enthusiasm and same passion and same commitment and play as well when it's Newcastle and I, Liverpool. I completely agree. Um, one thing that I did see from Marco Silva during this game that I didn't, that I've not seen for a long time, or at least even in his tenure, was instead of his tactical change was not just putting on more strikers. Yeah, <laughs> which is which is usually what he does. He ends 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 a game Six where he's looting. Yeah, you know, with four up front. Yeah, you know, and I like watching that, mm. but that's not necessarily how you win games of football. But he changed um, right towards the end of the first half, moving into the second half, from playing short balls out from the back where he was having no luck to having Pickford ping balls to the right and to the left wing. Mm. It was really making a difference. He brought on Richarlison, didn't he? Which Richarlison's yeah. good as if you're playing long balls wide, he's good because he's also six foot two or whatever and quick so he's got you can win it in the air as well as run behind yeah Richarlison's a funny one and we're going to watch him grow over the next couple of years I mean he's only a kid I don't want to see him actually grow because he's already massive <laughs> but we're going, to, we're going to watch him grow he makes some poor decisions when he gets the ball he's often he's got that Lukaku streak he's got that selfish streak but because he is isolated up there and he's playing against um, playing with someone who's slow in Sigerson and someone who's tiny in Bernard. He's isolated. He's got he's got no support that's offering kind of functional support. You know, he actually plays best with Calvert Lewin because mm. Calvert Lewin's full of energy and big, frees up space for him. But when he's not, and when Walcott's on the other side, it doesn't really work very well. So no. we're going to see whether his decision making improves. But Marco Silva changed his tactics, and it really did help. So. You know, can Marcus Silva do it over the whole season? I don't know. This this result gave Everton fans a bit of faith, and if you're going to do anything, contribute to Liverpool not winning the league. And do well on that. Liverpool are now a point behind Man City. Um, have they choked? Is it over? Have they bottled it, as everyone likes to say, or is are they actually 
in a, my opinion on it is they're actually in a better position now than they were being a point ahead because now everyone thinks Liverpool have mucked it up and they can go along with being the chaser rather than the being in front and I think that's good for Liverpool um, they are a point behind and probably two points in reality because of the goal difference um, but I think them being behind is going to do them good um, and actually make them play a bit better I think they did they choke they I think they got too nervous against Everton they didn't know what well, they ran out of ideas they needed Coutinho or someone to kind of create something um Arigi was crap mm. like I'm not sure why they bothered with Arigi he did score a goal a week before um but I think Liverpool being a point behind Man City is actually going to be good for them I agree. If you're going to create that atmosphere at Anfield, you need to be fighting for something. Yeah. And it's much easier to fight when you're chasing the thing you're fighting against than when you're running away from it. Yeah. And it's a very different mentality. And then they, they are not players who are used to running away from things. If you know what I mean, they're, yeah. they're used to s- scrapping around. And, and, that's, and they're fans who want that. They're fans yeah. who want to look at the thing you're aiming at. Now, don't get me wrong. Anfield, when the atmosphere is right, is one hell of a stadium. And it's usually one hell of a stadium, you know, Champions League nights or games against Man United when they want to go out and smash him. You know, they feel like they've got a right to go out and do that. Not when they're ahead and they're trying to, solid, you know, solidify their position. Liverpool played Burnley at home this weekend. If they were a point ahead in the league, I think everyone would be like, "Oh, Burnley, that's a difficult game or it's a tricky game. They've been playing well recently. They're a really hard team to play against. Because they're a point behind, I think everyone would be going... Right, let's go and get three points. Let's beat Burnley. We can beat Burnley. We're better than them. It just completely switches the mentality. Problem is, they're a point behind a Lamborghini. Yeah, true. And that and that makes it very tough. And so, you, no one ever predicted Man City would lose three games this season, and and they have. So, so we just can't call it. There's nine games to go. Um, on the Man City game, they played Bournemouth and won one nil. Did you hear how much possession Bournemouth had? Something like eighteen percent. Eighteen percent possession. And they completed 100 passes as a whole team. Carl Walker completed 106. So the right back of Man City completed more passes than the whole of Bournemouth. Yeah, they broke a record. Did you see they broke a record? No shots on target or even off target. Yeah, they're the only home team in Premier League history not to register a single shot. It is ridiculous. Like, Eddie Howe, you know I hate Eddie Howe. And he's only got one way of playing. He decided this week against Man City to prove he's got another way of playing but he was so piss poor at it that he should stick to the one way <laughs> like it was awful to watch it was it was just pointless it was there's no point turning up like still though City only won 1-0 and this is this is the thing about football yeah. they it could have been a 0-0 draw like yeah. it really could have been it, it's outrageous to think that, that was possible with such a such a hammering do you think no that Bournemouth you go for it and you lose 4-0 um, but you go for it or you're better doing what they did and lose one the result's the same you still get normal points yeah but it's how you feel the day after if, yeah. you, if you play for Bournemouth right now you are listening and reading and sitting in a in a in a tactical room at their stadium in their training ground and, you, and you're picking apart what is the worst Premier League football performance of all time and wouldn't you rather have gone for it and lost 4-0 than be the worst Ever, Bournemouth. <laughs> yeah, yes. But so, so Bournemouth play Huddersfield away this week. Huddersfield obviously are relegated and down. Bournemouth have lost their last eight games away. Wow, they're on a terrible run. I have a sneaky feeling Bournemouth can still get sucked into relegation battle. Like I know they're on thirty-four points and Cardiff on twenty-five, so they're nine points clear. But I can see. I, I like. I can see Bournemouth going to Huddersfield and losing one or two nil. Like I, I think they're struggling. I think they could just sleepwalk into it because they think they're good enough, and then slowly it just goes wrong. Yeah, I think you're right. And Huddersfield have got the new manager bounce that they haven't quite bounced yet. But but I think that, that you know new ideas will be spreading into that side. They're preparing to go down, and so I think they're actually more at peace than they have been all season. Huddersfield, mm. they'll they'll be trying new things. I was going to say they complete like. They are down, so you relax. There's mm. almost that thing of just like, well, it's over, isn't it? So let's just relax. Enjoy it. We've got our last eight or nine games in the Premier League. We might as well enjoy the fact that we're in the Premier League. And it's the old shop window as well. If you're Aaron Moy, you want to be scoring a hat-trick, don't you? You want to be making sure that the Crystal Palaces of this world snap you up. Yeah. 
Um, Ooh, Crystal Palace. He would be good at Crystal Palace. Yeah, he'd be he'd be great, wouldn't he? <laughs> Threaten more than Zaha, but I think he'd be great at most teams lower than seventh. Yeah, I just just think he would be. Um, it's it's funny though. So so we're going to talk talk about Leicester, I guess. And yeah, go on. So I, well, not not just Leicester. I think so. I, I've got a friend at work who's a West Ham fan, right? Mm. All season, every week, we talk about football. Yeah, right. He talks about West Ham. I talk about Everton, yep. and we're incredibly engaged. Like not him and I. I've got a wife, <laughs> but we're you know we're all over it. It's football. Yep. Football's great. This week, he was over at my desk. I looked at the league table. I'm like, okay, so West Ham are on 39 points. Everton are on 37 for ninth and tenth. Your base would be a perfect match. You should get like, engaged. What? What? Are we? <laughs> <laughs> we're both used to it. Like, yeah. You know, I looked at him and I just said, well, what's What's the point? What are we doing? Like, what have we? <laughs> what have you? you it's and like me, you've been mate, married twenty years. What have we been doing with our life? Because I tell you, I, I the last twenty years for both of us have been pretty similar. In fact, he's had the worst because he's gone down and up. But at least he's gone to have the joy of coming up. Yeah, you know. And um, so it, it was just after that day that I listened to an interview with Bielsa, the Leeds mm. United manager. And um, so one of the things that he said really resonated me, which is. Football is football is an amazing thing, and to enjoy football, you have to separate or uncouple, as he put, the need for winning to bring you your joy. The journey itself has to be something that you enjoy enough. So the victories are a bonus. However, as soon as you win a game of football, the very next day it's over. As soon as you win a trophy, the very next day it's over. And that's something that's gone round and round my head this week, because... I think about the footballing journey of, of Leicester fans. Uh, they've won something. Maybe they're, they're a bad example. I think of the footballing journal, journey of Watford, West Ham, Bournemouth and Palace. And I think that, you know, and Everton, to, to people who are under the age of 30, who don't remember Everton even winning the FA Cup, mm. like that's, a, that's a normal thing for people. So you, you kind of have already uncoupled the desire to win a trophy from the joy of the journey, the joy of those little bits of beauty that you get from football. And then I look at the other the other side. So I, I will use you, John, as, as yeah. your experience being a Manchester United fan. You grew up winning with, with the joy of success. Yeah. And then the joy of the journey didn't resonate in the same way when you weren't succeeding. So the last four or five years, right, the, you were still having success. Remember that Jose Mourinho won a treble, didn't he? Yeah. A, a shit uh, treble. Well, this is my point. Yeah. A shit treble. Because yeah. the, the football wasn't good enough. The, the, so it wasn't good enough. The success wasn't good enough. Because the journey itself wasn't something that you were enjoying. So it, the, the two things were, were coupled up. Yeah. They, they, weren't, they weren't detached from each yeah. other. Um, and maybe the success in itself in, in, that, in that example wasn't enough to compensate for a bad journey. But then you look at... Um, you know Manchester City, for example. Manchester City have been incredibly, incredibly successful, but the journey itself is really enjoyable yeah. you know, because we're, we're watching this this thing grow. And but then maybe they're the perfect example. So I guess my, my my question to you as a Man United fan is: if you don't win anything else from from now for the next how many years have Liverpool not won the league for? Twenty nine. Twenty nine years. If you don't win another trophy for twenty nine years. Do you think that the you could get as much enjoyment as you have in your life from a from a good journey, or as you have being successful? God, that's a good question. It's hard because my initial reaction is no, because I'm used to winning, so I'm used to the scenario of being in Champions League finals and winning the championship and being at the top of the league and being involved in those conversations. Um, it's interesting you bring up the Mourinho years because when Mourinho won at Man United, I still didn't enjoy it. And I said that on here. Like, I didn't enjoy the fact that we won the UEFA... Um, the, what's it called? Europa League. <laughs> <laughs> UEFA Cup. I just had a flashback to 1992 <laughs> in my head. Um, uh, because of I just hated Mourinho. So there's part of it that's... Solskjaer coming back into Man United is reignited my enjoyment of watching Man United and enjoying that process so I would enjoy not winning as much with Solskjaer because we're playing in a way that we class as a Man United way 
Um, so, so I enjoy that process. So if you did what Spurs are doing now, so if you went mm. for the next four years with Solskjaer and you didn't win a single trophy, but played the way Solskjaer is playing right now, I would enjoy the process. You would enjoy the process. Yes. The yeah, journey definitely. itself would be something that would give you pleasure as opposed to the the need for success, the need to win. Yes. Um, but I think that comes down a little bit to a style of football. Um, and like you mentioned Leicester earlier, um, Leicester won the league, yes. Two years before that, they were in the championship. And I remember talking about Leicester when they won the league, how they had been relegated, promoted won the league, got to the Champions League quarterfinal, and in that whole same period, Stoke had finished between 7th and 11th in the Premier League, so they hadn't gone anywhere. So is it more enjoyable to be a Leicester fan than a Stoke fan, where you get the consistency of the Premier League at Stoke, until they went down, um, or do you want the yo-yo? And I think you become accustomed to what your relationship is with your football clubs. You become accustomed to a scenario, so you expect a certain thing. So with Leicester, as a fan of Leicester, you expect it to be a bit of a roller coaster and it's going to go all over the place. Stoke became accustomed, it's a bit boring. I would enjoy the roller coaster more as a fan, I think. But removing it from fans to players and Bielsa, um, Bielsa uncoupling it means these teams are probably better at winning because you're about the process. So Fergie, after they won the Champions League in 1999, the next day he was planning for the next season. He came for a couple of glasses of wine for the celebration and then went, I'm going home, put his medal away in the drawer and just went, okay, what's next? And that for me is uncoupling in a professional sense in that I'm here to win games of football and what the process is to do that doesn't so if I win doesn't matter because I just go on to the next one go on to the next one so I think as a professional sense of Bielsa doing that means you're going to have a more successful side but I don't think as a fan because you're emotionally involved you can do that interesting so you think going back to my West Ham fan friend you think he has he's at a better time than me because in the time that Everton have been between seventh and seventeenth yeah. <laughs> Oh no, pardon me, 4th and 17th, because we got that one year in the Champions League. um, West Ham have gone down twice. West Ham have gone down, got promoted, got to cup finals. So you think he's had a better time? Yeah. When the tragedy doesn't get get swallowed by the success of going up again and the excitement? No, because I think it's the emotional engagement. So you're engaged in it more emotionally. Like if I... um, I was going to say, yeah, a West Ham fan right now, it's almost boring that it's going quite well. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's like you kind of... Because you're so used to the, the roller coaster. Yeah. So do you think that that does you a benefit in your, in your day, as a football fan, in your day-to-day life? Mm. Do you think it's, be- it's, it's advantageous for you to have been able to uncouple the success of your footballing side and the journey you take? Do you think that's that's a benefit for you to have those skills in your life? Yeah, I much more enjoy watching Man United now than I did two months ago when Mourinho are like, it's fun. I get excited by the fact that, oh, there's a Man United game in the morning or in the night or whenever, and I really look forward to watching it. Whereas for the last two years, I've just not looked forward to watching Man United. It's been a chore. It's like you're with a wife that you don't enjoy being with and you're like oh we've got to go out for dinner I don't want to go out for dinner and now I've got my new wife and I'm like oh going out for dinner I'm really excited (laughs) even if the dinner isn't very nice you're still excited about the process yeah exactly you're excited about the process and the person you're hanging out with so you could say Spurs this is the most successful time of their modern history Mm. and that is because the process in itself is a success because it is engaging it's entertaining they're doing it the right way. That's something you can be proud of. You can get along with the journey. It's just brilliant. And if not a single trophy comes at the end of it, would you still say it's the most successful time in their modern history? In their modern history, yes. Like they won the double in 1961, um, and they've won cups previously. Um, famously, they win the FA Cup in 61, 71, 81, and 91. Weird. They always win in the ones. Um, but that stopped in '91. Yeah, stopped in '91. <laughs> so, so post '91, yeah. um, it is their best period. Um, but also, there you can see the progress they're making. I think the big thing for 
Spurs as a team this year, signing no one, obviously, famously, they've still made progress. Now, generally, you would think of a team not bringing anyone new in, not changing anything, you go backwards a bit. But what they've done is improve and evolve and change. And Pochettino's got better as a manager, the players have got better, and they've got better as a team. And you've got this new stadium coming. So there is gradual progress. So if I was a Spurs fan, I'd be super happy. What about Aston Villa? Uh, oh God, I'd be a mess. If I, yeah. So I'm throwing it out there because yeah. their journey in their last... Sorry if I'm going off. No, go on. Because their journey in their last... Um, six seasons perhaps in the Premier League before they got relegated to the Championship was a a, a progressively worse news story mm. like they were they were up challenging for fifth yeah. you yes, know, yeah. they, they, the because, old Everton Cup yeah because yeah, well, there was a top four and everyone else mm. and so they were challenging for fifth with everyone in the Everton Cup yeah. <laughs> which you know, I love that Everton had just been progressively <laughs> the, the, Everton Cup the, gets the worse. kind of best of the rest and as soon as like the top seven Everton would be finishing eighth yeah um so that, and then it's a slow stone sink in yeah. a river, isn't it? To the point where the journey itself is depressing. Even though you would say that if you were a Bournemouth, having the same performance level as Aston Villa, would the journey would be satisfying because of where they've come from. Mm. And then going down into the Championship and having it be just as bad. Like, would you say that's the worst? I think it'd be pretty bad. And Aston Villa have won the European Cup in 1980. They have history. They were one of the best teams in Europe. They have won leagues. They are historically a huge club in the UK. They're a big, big team. And then they've slowly disappeared. Now, that is the fault of an owner they had that slowly just stripped the club of anything good and took all the money out and destroyed what they had, which was a good thing. And it takes a long time to recover that. And I think they're slowly getting there. But it's not going to be a quick fix. Um, I think if you, if you, as a fan, if you see an owner rip the soul out of your club, that's got to be the most painful thing. Yeah, because yeah. They're, they're, they're robbing you of the ability to continue your own emotional journey. And on that, as a Man United fan, the Glazers have ripped the soul out of Man United. But because we're still near the top, it's bearable. As a fan, you have this blinkered look that, oh, I'll ignore the fact that the people that own our club are absolute bastards and horrible and put huge debt on our club because we're still doing okay. Say the same about Manchester City, say the same about Chelsea. Like There is no human who can say that the the owners of Manchester City are are fine individuals. No. And sorry. No, this this is slander because it's 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 getting published. But but there's no one who can say that their money is just. Mm. Their human rights record for the organisations and people that they represent are an absolute living disgrace. And if they were... If you experience them in any other environment or any other world, that would be the dominating thought that you have. But because you're wedded to your club, you, you defend it. You completely ignore it. And when uh, Mashuri came to Everton, he has a, um, a link with Usmanov. Usmanov is the guy who's sold, just sold his shares to Stan Kroenke, the Arsenal yeah. chairman. And... These people have Russian oligarch money. Yeah, I'd say was I was I annoyed when that money came to Everton? No, you're like oh, good money. No, I'm like, oh great, we can fucking spend 150 million on Davy Klassen. Yeah, like for, for <laughs> me, it was it was really exciting because it's like you get your moment, mm. and you soon forget where it came from and don't question where it's come from. So, and that's because it gives you the attachment to an emotional journey that is incredibly satisfying. Yeah, even if it doesn't reap any rewards. Yeah. So I, I guess um, I I'll move on yeah, from but this no. slightly. But um, when I maybe it is best to be a Leicester fan. Maybe it's better to be a Leicester fan than a Spurs fan. Maybe the, maybe the worst is Liverpool because when you got it right, maybe the worst is Liverpool. Just throw that in the air because you got it right. You get accustomed to the emotional journey of your football club. Yeah. And do you think Liverpool fans are currently getting accustomed to bottling it? Yes. I would say that they are accustomed to not actually winning it and the actual process of winning the championship they've not done and they're nervous about doing it it's going back to the wife analogy it's about the actual proposing and going yes I love you and I want to marry you 
and they're just really nervous and they keep bottling it and they just go no I won't ask now I won't ask now and and their modern history they lost the UEFA League final they lost the Champions League final <laughs> Stephen they lost a nine point lead at the top of the Premier League yeah. with five games to yeah. go and what's going on right now so almost what the emotional journey that they're accustomed to is pretty tragic yeah yeah it'd be hard being a Liverpool fan <laughs> Well, we should move on. Um, have you got any side stories, Jeffa? Yeah, there's new rules. New rules? What are the new rules? Um, so, remember last year when we spoke about new rules being introduced to British football? Yep. And you're like, what new rules? What's that? Every year there's new rules. So, so I picked, there's five new rules that I um, that I decided that three of them were worth talking about. And now I reread them, only two of them were worth talking about. So I can talk about two of them. Firstly, substituted players can leave from anywhere on the pitch. Yes, I have heard this. And it's to speed it up so people can't time waste. So they're not going from the far corner and just like slowly trotting over. They walk off from the yeah, the closest side. It's excellent. One excellent. If I'm a Man United player playing Anfield against Liverpool and I'm next to the cop end and I get subbed off, I have to walk off next to the fans in the cop end and then walk all the way around. Yes. Is there any, like, is this making... They're going to get a load of abuse. Are people going to throw things? Like, we've had a few instances this year of people throwing stuff. Like, are they inviting a scenario where that could happen more? Just Maybe. I've not thought about that. You, you do raise a good point. Yes, we're inviting a scenario where that could happen more. Um, however, we'll have VAR to tackle it. Um, and the other one I want to highlight is that from next year, no attacking players will be allowed in the wall. What? So you know, if you're a defending team and, oh, you, and you have a wall, yes, yes, uh, some like centre back number six who's, who's really tall just bloody start shoulder barging the yeah, whole the whole yeah. wall over. It's not allowed anymore. I, um, when you said attacking players, I thought anyone with like number nine or ten. Or no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you just just have just your back four lined up. <laughs> yeah, no, okay. so, so no players from the team who are taking the free kick are allowed to position their themselves in the defending wall. I quite like that. I think that's great. Yeah, because it is one of those things where you just stick someone in there and then you hit it at them and then they lean out of the way. Oh, it's cheating, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. It's just a way of cheating. Yeah. So it's great that they, they've tied it up. Oh, good one. Is that all the new rules? Yeah, that's, that's, they're the only ones that I've, I've deemed worthy of shed. Okay, I've got a couple of uh, side stories. Firstly, the MLS started. Yes, yes it did. Um, DC United beat Atlanta, the champions 2-0. Wayne Rooney. Two assists. Two assists. Uh, Atlanta minus Almiron, who now plays for Newcastle. Um, and Zlatan scored for LA. So uh, have you seen? You know, uh, sorry, John. <laughs> you know that uh, goal movie that Newcastle United. Oh yeah, film, when the guy ends up at Real Madrid and yeah. Yeah. So yeah. have you seen that? Um, that bloke. What's his name? Santiago. Yes. Uh, Santiago Ramirez, whatever his name is. Uh, he looks frighteningly similar to Almiron. Oh yes. No. Yes. <laughs> 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 I did look at him the other day and I was like, I recognise that's what so he is. So there's this big like like swell of going, Oh my god, it's really happening. This is this is this is him. He's come from South America. You've never heard of him. And he's like, Ooh, he's gonna come into Newcastle and save the day. That's yeah, awesome. Brilliant. Um a couple of other little bits on side stories. West Germany no not not wow, I've gone back to nineteen ninety one again. <laughs> Germany. Uh their coach Yogi Lowe. Uh, has told three players that they're not going to play for the national team anymore. Matt Swimmels, Thomas Muller, and Jerome Boateng. And he's just said... It's about 200 caps in that. Two, yeah, 100 to, 250 caps between the three of them. Um, and they're 30, 30, and 29 years old, so they're not old. And he's just said, no, you're from the past, we're not going to pick you anymore. Like, they, they've not retired or anything. He's saying Germany need a new look and a new direction which I mean takes some balls to do um, which he probably sniffed before he yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the old scratching sniff but um, weird what, what do you think? Uh, I think it's a silly move because you divide you can you don't have to publicise it you can not pick people and make up excuses why you're not picking people but you don't have to just say I'm not going to pick you anymore because it's putting people offside. And what if they've got mates in the team? Like, why aren't you picking Muller? And if Muller goes and scores 30 goals a season for, Dor- for Munich or whatever, you 
you're putting yourself in a position where if Matt Hummels is the best defender in Europe, but you've decided I can't, you can't go back on it because you just so you can not pick him for a year and then go. Oh, he's been really good. Bring him back. See, we've got to look at the the structure set up by the greatest international manager of all time, Gareth Southgate. <laughs> now, what would what would Gareth do? Gareth would say, "Doors always open. All I want are players that perform, play every week. Doors yes. always open. Yep. No one's ever excluded from my squads. No." And really can still get in if he's. That's what he said. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he probably played Bex if he if he got his yeah, boots on, yeah. and that's fine. As you say, that there are ways to do these things, and just expelling them from the side. As you say, these people are legends, yeah. and you don't treat legends like that. You know, if I was the German FA, I'd be looking at Jurgi Lowe more than I'd be looking at these players. Yeah, it seems a bit Especially of a dodge. Especially after their performance in the last World Cup, be yeah. like, do we really trust this bloke to start? Axing our legends, yeah, like, seems odd. I get it, but and he had that spat with Ozil, didn't he? Yeah, because Ozil wasn't playing anymore now, and, and Sane didn't take Sane yeah. to the World Cup. I mean, the guy's a monkey, isn't he? Yeah, so I think, um, yeah, I think Lowe is just in a position where he's just panicking, going, oh, "I need to make my authority known," and it's not working. Um, last bit on international football: England women won the She Believes Club Cup, which is a friendly tournament. Was the final today? Was it? I was last. No, so it's a mini league. Yeah. So it's four teams, and you play everyone once. And England played Japan and beat them three nil. Um, made eight changes because um, Phil Neville came out and said that he wanted to make sure everyone in the squad had played. Um, and his straight reason- out of the Gary Neville playbook. Oh, yes. sorry, the uh, Gary Southgate playbook. But his reasoning was, which makes a lot of sense. If I can't play them and trust them in this tournament, how can I trust them in the World Cup, which is in June in France? So I need to trust them. And he puts eight players in. They beat Japan 3-0, who beat Brazil a couple of days ago. Um, they did also make some changes. But England have won the She Believe Club. Wow. Which is really good. Um, but we should go on to end feature. Jeff, do you have an exciting new song for us? Yeah, I do. You ready? Yeah, go on. Oh, that is a new song. Oh, it's exciting. Living on the Edge. Yeah. So last week in... End feature. Rog and I bet on the same thing, Man United and Leicester, to win, and we both won. So great minds think alike, apparently. Now, Jeff, you just lost by you bet on Man United, yeah, start, but you bet on Spurs to win as well. No, so didn't quite win. Um, but that means, as a collective, we're over a hundred bucks up for the year. So we are making progress at the end of the year. Um, what have you gone for this week? So I've gone simple. Okay, I think Cardiff are going to beat West Ham. Yep. Paying $3.40. Now, Cardiff is sitting 18th. They are two points behind safety, which is Southampton. Obviously, we've spoken about the Southampton playing Spurs. We think Spurs are going to take that game. Cardiff will look at this as one of those Benitez-esque features going, shit, I've got to win this game. West Ham, for all of their credit and for all of the, the excitement that it is to be a West Ham fan, are playing for nothing. Yep. They're, on the beach. They are on the beach. And... um. I think that Cardiff have played in the last three weeks much better than their results dictate. When you watch them, they're actually good. Mm. I know it sounds like a it sounds like a obvious thing to say the Premier League side, but their defence is solid. They're they're big. They're strong. They're organised. They don't have a recognised goal scorer, and that and that's that's a problem for them. But they're they're better than you think they are. Yep. So I think they got a chance. Nice. And, and that's it. Three dollars forty. No other legs. Just the one. Nope. Nice. Um, I got Rogers bet via WhatsApp. Rogers bet on Crystal Palace to beat Brighton, which is probably the biggest game of the weekend in regards to the relegation zone. Um, both teams need a win. Um, and he's bet on Harry Kane to score two or more goals for Spurs against Southampton, which is a massive bet. Nice. Not, <laughs> it's not going to happen, Rog. So just put it out there. And it's paying $9.89. Of course it is. Um, and no, Rog, it'll probably come in. Um, now I can't remember what I've bet on I actually know I've got two legged bet I've bet on Crystal Palace to beat Brighton as well so Roger and I have gone for the same bet again but also I've bet on Man United to beat Arsenal really? because Man United Arsenal are playing well at the moment but Man United has set up as in Solskjaer's word to play counter attack Arsenal will play possession football at home and will play on the counter attack and we're really good in the league at the moment. We've got an incredible away record, especially under Solskjaer. So I think we'll win that. So those two legs are paying $5.40. 
I'm not sure about that Arsenal United game. I mean, it's, it would be crazy to bet against Manchester United. Um, but like, who would have, who in their right mind at the beginning of this season would have said Arsenal were going to be one point off top four with nine games to go? You just wouldn't. I did. I put them in the top four. Well, you're crazy. Like, uh, don't get me wrong. I like you, but you're crazy. <laughs> but, <laughs> and and I, well. I certainly didn't predict it. Yeah. I looked at the signings they made. I didn't predict it. I guess what they, the business they did last January was great, mm. but who knew that they would have the two most prolific strikers in the Premier League yeah. be able to play up front together? Like it's it's outrageous what they've achieved, especially with you know the worst defence I can remember in Arsenal's history. Mm. So I think that that is going to be a tighter game than you you, than you probably think. No, I think we're going to smash them. But uh, have you got anything else before we go, Trevor? I'd love to leave the shed today with a quote from Troy Deeney. Oh, yeah? On, on what it's like to play against Virgil van Dijk. Oh, yeah, good. Are you ready? Yeah. I hate him. He's too big, too strong, too quick, too good on the ball. He loves fighting, good head of hair, and he's one of those guys who sprays on his top as well, so he smells lovely. <laughs> That's amazing. It's so good. Um, thanks for listening everyone we will be back in the shed next week and Rog will hopefully finish his report so can join us as always if you want to get in touch shoot us an email at footballshedpodcast at gmail.com or find us on Facebook and Instagram and don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes subscribe and tell your mates and we'll be back soon thanks everyone (laughs) 